theory or practice, it's a constant battle when you're teaching. I'm Dr. Joy Patterson, the Director of Educator Preparation at Governor State University and the College of Education. And I'm Dr. Amy Viaquia, Governor State University Assistant Professor of English Teacher Education. In teaching and learning theory versus practice, Dr. Joy and I will duke it out over whether theory or practice wins the match. Yeah, I can't wait. So whether you're a teacher, an education leader, or looking to learn more about the field, you can hear from industry experts on education topics. We invite you to be the judge as we box it out. Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Well, good morning, Dr. Joy. Good morning, Dr. Amy. How are you today? I'm doing great. I've been thinking, though, about the three children that I have who need to get through college and one who has been there, done that, tried that. So it's really, I think, a great conversation for us to have today about how you get through college with as little debt as possible. And I think this is a valid topic for so many students and parents. I want to start off with some history, just so everyone is on the same page. Student loans. And I think this is especially important for first-generation students. Student loans, that's that form of financial aid that's used to help students access higher education. And as a result of student loan, we have what? Student loan debt. And since 2006, our student loan debt in the U.S. has grown beyond $1.6 trillion. That's a trillion, Amy. So this with is a T. With a yes, T. That's with a T. When I saw the number, I didn't know, what is that number? That's with a T. So these loans have to be repaid, right? So in contrast to other financial aid, like if you receive a scholarship or a Pell Grant or something like that, that may not have to be repaid, student loans have to be repaid. There's also a challenge with the default rate with borrows, And this is when you're unable to pay your student loan. And so there's all kinds of challenges with student loan. Who needs a student loan? The repayment of student loan? What is the default rate? And so there's lots of challenges. We know that there's the loan default rate is higher if you go to a, a private or, or for-profit school versus a not-for-profit school, we know that there's lots of disparity with ethnicity with student loans. These loans, they haven't always existed. So you wonder if your parents finished college, what was available before student loans? Before 1965, the primary way of paying for college was out of pocket. So there's some good and bad to this. The good thing is you paid out of pocket, so you didn't have any debt, right? The bad thing is that if you couldn't get a student loan, depending on your family income, you couldn't afford to go to college. So the good thing was the student loans made it possible for many students to take advantage of going to college. So I get that. But also since that time, the cost of attending college has increased 200%. I mean, it really doesn't make that out of the pocket expense possible for many families. So today, Amy and I, we're going to have a discussion about student loan debt, how to get through college with little or no debt, 
we're going to share some personal stories today. So, you know, hold on. And the depth and breadth of the problem. And most importantly, we want to offer some strategies about how to graduate from college with little or no debt. So that's what we're going to do today, Amy. Well, I like it. I have lots of stories. I mean, I know that you and I have pursued higher education. We have taken on a lot of responsibilities, maybe some debt ourselves. But in my own personal journey with education, I took advantage of some grant opportunities. I worked with institutes in order to get some credit. I took a year off of teaching to be a graduate research assistant to get my tuition paid. Yes, it was a pay cut. We had three young children at home and it wasn't necessarily easy, but it was worth it in the long run to have less debt. But that's my own personal story. There's also now my children who have very different paths. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Before we get into our children, because I want to share those stories too, my personal journey, unlike yours, I'm not as smart as you. So I didn't have all those scholarships. My parents, they value a college education. And actually, I didn't think I had a choice. You graduate from high school and you go to college. That's what we were told. I went to a college preparatory school. I knew that I was going to go to college, but I had no idea about the affordability of college. And being a first-generation college student, my parents didn't financially prepare for me to go to college, and we didn't have those conversations. And so while many of my friends were going off to Ivy League schools and I was accepted into a number of schools, I had no way of how I was going to pay for school. So, and my parents definitely were not putting their names on any financial paperwork, you know, because it was foreign to them. I went to the local community college in Chicago. I went to Daly Community College on Pulaski for the first two years. Then at 19, I got married. And, and so there's some good and bad. Let's stick with the good for now. <laughs> the bad is a whole nother conversation. So the good about that and going to school is that now I'm considered an independent. And so when it was time for me to go to a four-year university, I was able to afford it. And if you can remember that time, we had Reaganomics and actually that was good for student grants. So I received a Pell Grant because I was low income, married, independent. So I was eligible for Pell Grant. So I got through my, the rest of my undergraduate with Pell Grant. So I graduated undergraduate with no debt. For my graduate degrees, I went local, state schools, low tuition, paid as I went. By the time I graduated, I had paid for my degree. I didn't get a student loan until my doctorate degree. And when I finished that degree, I was in $40,000 worth of debt. You know, I did some writing, some curriculum writing, things like that. I sold that off and that paid off half my debt. And then very quickly, I paid off the other half. So I didn't hang on to that debt very long because it was a huge, it was a huge burden to carry just that $40,000 debt. 
you know, so I'm a, a little smarter and wiser and I'm sure you are. So how did you, how are you managing this with your children? Well, that was a, definitely a conversation that we had to have throughout their high school years. We weren't really in a position to just put money aside for their college education. A lot of dependence was on their academic abilities. And yes, we could help or we could maybe sign a loan if we had to, but we didn't have money tucked away in some kind of fund somewhere to pay for college. But we knew college was important. And our first go around, he wasn't ready. He didn't know what he wanted to do, but we knew college was important. We pushed, pushed, pushed. It was a decision that he had to make to leave. And now we have debt and it's, he's in a different place, a different space right now. It wasn't the right choice at the right time. Now with the next one that came around, she took AP courses. There were 33 hours she went in with for college credit because it was better to pay for that AP test than it was for a college course. So invest, (laughs) invest in those AP courses. And now, and I'll talk more about that for just a second. I know that schools sometimes have those entry tests into an AP course or certain grade requirement, but I'm also seeing some schools opening up access to those AP courses and it's to their, to the benefit of the students. She went in with 33 hours that allowed her to double major and to take more time to decide what she wants to do. She still doesn't quite know, but the high ACT score allowed her full tuition. She also became an RA. So her room and board has been paid for. There are some very strategic decisions that she made with our consultation to help with those finances. Now, the next one, high test score allowed her to get some tuition scholarships. And we have a high school freshman who hopefully will keep every door open and take all the courses that he can possibly take to allow for dual credit or AP courses because... That is a one way that you can really reduce your college tuition fees. Right. You know, another way is that we should have had less children. That's that's yeah. one idea. But but yeah. since we since that did not happen, you know, my oldest child, she graduated from high school pretty young. She was 16 when she graduated. I was fortunate enough at the time that I was working in higher ed. And so with that came the perk of family tuition waiver. So by her being 16, you know, I made a deal with her. You must come to mommy's university for two years. You must have a 3.0 and then we can talk about you going somewhere else. So I really wanted her number one, to be sheltered and to prove herself and to prove her independence and readiness, because we know that pushing kids into college does not work as bad as we want them to go to college and have that advantage, readiness makes all the difference in the world. So I wanted to make sure she was ready. Even though academically she was there, she was still young. So she came to Mommy's University, which was a small private university. 
And at the end of her sophomore year, she was president of student council and she was playing volleyball. So she finished, she graduated from that university without leaving. The graduate degree was on her. And my son, a slightly different path. I made the same deal with him. You know, he thought he wanted to go through the, to the military. That didn't pan out for him. But like your daughter, he had dual credit. He didn't have a lot of AP credit, but he did have a lot of dual credit. He came into the college scene with credit, which reduced the amount of the expense. And then I said, you need to come to mommy's school for at least a year. Again, you need to prove yourself. And after that year, he met my GPA requirement. What I did, I looked for affordable schools that my university partnered with. So that partnership meant that he would get a partnership weight uh, scholarship, but also he ran track and he was going to get a track scholarship and an academic scholarship. So based on all of those things, I came up with a list of 10 schools. And I said, son, you can go to any school you want to. Here's your list. <laughs> and so, but it did give him the freedom and he was actually happy for that freedom of choosing, of selecting for himself, albeit a small list, but he was able to select and he did select something that was affordable. And I was really conscientious about it that, oh, I can afford a thousand dollars a month because what I had saved, when you have that saving, it goes really quickly, quicker than you can imagine. So I was like, okay, in addition to that, I can afford $1,000 a month because also he needed a car. I had to pay auto insurance, all of those things that come with having a college student. And so that's what we worked around, Amy, of making it doable for both of my children, making sure it was affordable. So they both graduated college without student debt. But, you know, many Americans, they don't have that benefit or they don't know how to navigate this. So we were fortunate enough where either you had enough income, but definitely enough knowledge to try to navigate it, right? But a quarter of American students, they have student loan debt. That's a quarter of American adults. As I said, there's a 1.6 trillion debt that we owe in student loans. The average student loan debt is about 28,000 for undergraduate students. Actually, I thought that number would be greater, but it's only about $28,000. But if you look at someone who's getting a medical degree, I mean, that's where it gets up to like $200,000 of debt. And any regular grad degree, about $82,000. You know, when you're looking at these numbers, I can see why Bernie Sanders was a presidential front runner for young voters. When you look at that $1.6 trillion of debt, if you look at a $28,000 debt just coming out of school with a bachelor's degree, let's say the average salary, if you have a degree, is about $50,000. And normally that's, the starting salary is normally less than that. But let's right. just say your average salary is $50,000 once you get going. And your net pay is what, about $3,000, $3,300 a month. And now you got to pay $300 a month in student loans. And that's providing you have a salary that can support that $300 a month in student loan. And a lot of that goes to interest. Student debt is real. And it, it is baggage. 
I know that you teach a master in college course, which I think is a really interesting curriculum for first year college students. I would like to know more about what you're seeing as they come into that course. Are they aware, are these freshmen aware of what they are getting into and, and what kind of debt they might have, how to pay for it, or even what resources they have? So at Governor State University, which is where I teach that course, we have a very high percentage of first-generation students. So here's where the challenge lie, is where there's a lack of information. And I can understand that there being a lack of information from families because you're first-generation, but it's hard for me to understand the lack of information coming from schools when you're graduating why didn't you receive this kind of financial literacy that would prepare you? So in that class, I find students that are very unprepared and uninformed about student debt. Many of them have student loans. Some of them have free money, like a Pell Grant, scholarships, and student loans. And unfortunately, we see students that use, abuse actually student loans because they move out of their parents' home, they buy apartments, they buy furniture, they're using it to pay their car note. They're really using it to live off of. So it's going beyond paying for tuition because this is a change in lifestyle for the students. So they're using it as a source of income, not just a payment of tuition. You know, you talk about information. Where is the desert? Where is that information desert coming from and how can we help? So one of the ways that we can help, you know, because the disparity is just so great. And I think this is why we have to help. There's such a disparity with student loans in terms of ethnic groups. We estimate that 86.8% of black students take out federal loans to attend four-year college. That's huge, Amy, compared to less than 60% of white students. The bulk of this debt is with black and brown students. And guess what? The bulk of the loan, the default on a loan, which is when you don't pay that loan back for more than six months, which ruins your credit, is also with black and brown students. So I think we have an obligation to provide that information that we say is missing. I think this can be done in literacy, financial literacy in high schools. And if it's not done there, I think definitely in coming to college. So I know that we're addressing that. I do think that this should be more of a national trend and not just left up to each university to implement financial literacy into their curriculum. That one class that you mentioned, Mastering College, cannot be the catch-all because we're teaching them how to prepare, how to get your mindset ready, how to create a schedule, accountability, how to get to the bookstore and all of those things. So that can't be the catch-all course. There should be a course specifically designed for financial literacy. I was the one helping my high school student. We would stumble upon uh, information about a particular college or my daughter had a friend who was applying to a out-of-state school that offered a large amount of scholarships for high test scores and high GPAs. She jumped on that bandwagon really fast because 
it was worth it. It was worth trying to apply. And then she got accepted. So she went out of state in order to pursue that large scholarship, but that was word of mouth. See, that that's that's work either word of mouth or it's you doing your homework, right? So there are opportunities out there, Amy. And, you know, and I think it's really important now because of COVID, you, we know that the student debt is increasing. With COVID, it is going to increase like we've never seen before. It's good that that CARES Act has kind of put a stop on the repayment of student loans, but that didn't put a stop on the interest rate. So that debt is growing and it's just going to be harder to pay that debt back. And so this is just such an important conversation where should those students get this? We talked about getting it in college, but what about your school counselors? And what is the role of your school counselor in sharing this information? I just think that is so important. But when we look at some schools, going back to disparities, we can look at some schools where the school counselor's role is to meet with students to talk about trauma, everyday life situations that the students are trying to get through. The counselors cannot squeeze enough time to talk about college career opportunities because they are so busy and entrenched with talking about those day-to-day -day matters. So depending on where you come from, what school you're going to, you're not going to have the same information and the luxury that your children have had. And us being in higher ed know how to find resources. Right at least know how to go to a, a university website to see the admissions and the financial aid tab. And I encourage our listeners who are tuning in for a discussion about financial literacy, about getting through college with as little debt as possible, to go straight to the college website financial aid section. It will have a list of scholarships. It will have those opportunities. But I do caution too much searching on the scholarship network, open source type of locations because they will charge fees or involved in mailings that might not be biggest bang for your buck. Right. And they also use it to exploit students, you know, credit cards, all of that. So it's really important to have some financial literacy. And I do think the buck stops with us, Amy in the higher ed, they are now our consumer, right? And we have a responsibility for them to get through college with as, as little debt as possible. Because why did you go to college in the first place? You went to college because you wanted a better life for yourself or you wanted a better life for your children, which means more income. You don't want to start your adult life after college being drowned in debt. That payment is due six months after you graduate. And that's not very long. That's not very long. That time goes by really quickly. This is the time period where most people actually fall into this default. And we have that huge disparity. And one might ask, why do we have such a large gap with race? And the biggest reason is because of income. Because my income is so low that I can't afford to pay that debt back. Debt is, this is, this is real. So I'm happy that we're really having this conversation 
because this is not where we want our students to find themselves at the end of four years. You and I both come from the teacher ed department and we know as teachers, we don't earn a lot coming out of college. And so the last thing we want is to have college debt on top of our other expenses. Going into education, it is for the love. It is for the love of the content, love of the students. It's not to get financially rich. And if you're going into the profession with debt, there is a chance that you might see it frustrating. I don't want those people to leave education because they're saddled with debt that they can't pay. So I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier about loans and how students are using these loans to live off of. That just emphasizes the point of only getting the amount of money that you need, only getting a loan for the essential education purposes. Absolutely. So just for our listeners, we're again, we're talking about trying to get through college with as little debt or no debt as possible. And if you're worried about how to pay for college for yourself or your child, you are in good company. (laughs) We have been there, but we don't want this to worry you because it is really expensive. And I know you're worried, but there's something that you can do about it. There's something that you can plan for. The goal is to better yourself again. And you want to do this without any debt. Let's offer some strategies. Then we also need to talk about that, again, that big elephant in the room that our accountability of what do we need to do about it to better educate people about this. One of my top picks, AP slash dual credit courses. Even though I'm not a strong proponent of dual credit, I'm going to put AP slash dual credit because that is a way that while you're in high school, you can earn college credit. That means you don't have to pay for that credit when you get to college. Yes, and I think that is a valid way to get some of those lower level courses or your electives or an introductory course under your belt. If you have the skills in English literature or in composition, why not take that course? Right, especially if it's an AP course. An AP course to me is as rigorous as any college course. So I would strongly recommend AP courses if you can qualify for AP courses. There's a number of scholarships, right, Amy? You receive scholarships. So there's academic scholarships. You got sports scholarships. I know my son took advantage of a small academic scholarship, a small sports scholarship, a small minority scholarship. What about being a work study? You were a GA? Were you a GA? I was a graduate research assistant. But that is absolutely an option. I'm urging my daughter, who is uh, seeking a master's degree, to look at the different places on the website. And sometimes they can be buried, but search out graduate assistantships or graduate research assistantships if you're not satisfied with stopping after your bachelor's degree and you want to pursue that higher certification, a master's degree, a doctorate. Find other ways to pay for it. Find a way to be a teaching assistant or to facilitate. That's why I got some of my courses paid for. I I facilitated a course or an institute and got three credit hours or 
payment for that facilitation so that I could put it towards my tuition. So at the graduate level, there are a lot of resources. At the undergraduate level, absolutely work-study programs. When you fill out FAFSA, make sure you click yes on the place where it says, are you willing to do work-study? Absolutely. And you get a check and you can also get discounts off your tuition. At Governor State University, we make it our job to hire the maximum amount of federal work studies and graduate assistants that we can. I will make work for them. If that position is available, I look to hire someone so that they can benefit from that. Also, don't throw away the opportunities to get a $1,000 scholarship or a $5,000 scholarship. If I have 10 $5,000 scholarships, I've more than paid for my tuition. So don't miss out on those small scholarships because they add up. Also, affordability. And you alluded to this earlier. If you take me, for example, when I started my college career, I started at the local community college. I started somewhere where I could pay out of pocket. Make sure it's affordable. With my son who went away to college, I said, this is how much I can afford per month. So we made sure we stayed in range of that. Do something that's affordable. Stay close to home. Live at home if you need to live at home. Live within the state. Pay state tuition. Make decisions of what's affordable to you. And as Amy said, make sure that you, if you do have to borrow, you're only borrowing what you need. Joy, I like what you said about having an honest conversation with your son and with your daughter too, about what you're able to afford. The children who are graduating as seniors might not have a full picture of what the parents are able to provide or to help with. And if you don't have those honest conversations, you may have a very awkward conversation about loan and debt later. Being upfront, being honest, helping each other find those scholarships. Don't stop at the freshman level scholarships. Apply again at sophomore level and at junior level. Some scholarships, you reapply and reapply each and every year. It doesn't just stop whenever you're a senior in high school graduating. The parents who are listening, teachers, educators, those resources are there. Our financial literacy is important and we need to know how to find those resources. Right, parents should ask. Ask a teacher, ask anyone who has made it through college about their journey and how to afford it. There's also the military, right? My son-in-law paid for his undergraduate and graduate degree by joining the National Guards. You have some employers where you find high schoolers and young college students working, such as McDonald's has a scholarship program. So you can also look for other employment that have scholarships to go to college. I will say where there's a will, there's a way, but you don't wanna break the bank, really. It's difficult to start your adulthood with that kind of baggage. And if that's money that you don't have to come up with, why come up with it? My heart breaks for my friend whose student loan debt is $3,000 a month. Like that. What could you do with $3,000 a month? That hurts. 
and you know there was a real picture a real vision of the good that she could do and that we can do with a higher education degree a master's degree and with a doctorate an md a jd you can get very influential positions uh-huh. and really effect change in our communities and in schools but if you are not able to pay then all the good that those degrees will do is kind of canceled out yeah you're right so look for these scholarships also minority scholarships there's a lot of minority scholarships i always tell teachers to look for loan forgiveness scholarships if they work at a title one school for at least five years they can have up to 50 percent of their loans forgiven If they teach math, special ed, or science, they can have up to 90% of their loans forgiven. If you do have loans, look for those loan forgiveness opportunities, but we really want you to graduate without having that loan debt. But if you find yourself needing to get a loan, my advice is get a federal loan. The interest rate is cheaper than a private loan. Only get what you need, right, Amy? So only get what you need, repay it right away, pay as you go. Start paying on that interest rate while you're in college so that it's not accumulating while you're in college. Those things are really important. Well, I hope that the listeners have an opportunity to check out our website that where a lot of links will be shared and seek out some information from the school websites, university websites, and the teachers that are right in front of you, you high school seniors, to help you navigate that next step. Right. And don't be afraid to hit us up because I know how I felt when my friends were going to Ivy League schools and I had to go to the local community college. Don't be afraid to hit us up. We look forward to hearing from you and please subscribe to the podcast. It's great talking to you, Joy. Great talking to you. Until next time, where I win conversation. Uh, Not again. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson. We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching. We welcome your comments and feedback. What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave it up to you, our listeners. Did theory or practice win the match? I think it was theory probably this time. Uh, practice. Until next time, we're Dr. Amy. And Dr. Joy.